Have you thought this through? No way will that work. Are you sure? Is there any money in that? You'll never make any money doing that. How are you going to pay the mortgage? Just get a job. Are you going to try to sell that? Why can't you be normal like anybody else? Oh, right. Were your parents morons too? The savvy entrepreneur to the rescue. Congratulations. That really turned out well. That was a really good job. I'm getting ready. I'm ready. You know, I wish I thought of that. I never thought of anyone then. How did you do that? I'm so glad you're here. I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Hello and welcome to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. We're broadcasting here on WLCB 101.5 FM based in the greater Chicago, Milwaukee area. If you're an entrepreneur or a small business person or thinking about becoming one, this show is for you. I'm Doris Nagel, your host for the next hour. I'm a crazy entrepreneur myself, and I love helping other entrepreneurs. I've counseled lots of startups and small businesses over the past 30 years, and I've also helped start or started myself at least nine different businesses, candidly with varying degrees of success. So the show has two goals, to share helpful information and resources and to inspire, to make your journey as an entrepreneur faster and easier, maybe just a little bit more fun. To help with that, I have guests on the show every week who are willing to share their stories and their advice. And this week's guest is Shaniqua Davis, the founder and CEO of Norify, based in Chicago. Shaniqua launched Norify in 2006. And Norify is a digital platform that connects diverse talent to jobs at top startups and other companies. So if you're interested in working for a startup, listen up. Based in Chicago, as I said, the company's goal is to increase diversity at corporations by connecting individuals from underrepresented backgrounds through the power of referrals. Shaniqua's desire to see entrepreneurs achieve exponential success in their careers and their businesses is the driving force, she says, behind everything she does. She's a first-class consultant and brings a unique understanding of clients' strengths and weaknesses. Prior to founding Norify, she held several positions in digital marketing. She holds a degree from Michigan State University in Media and Information Technology. She's been featured in several national magazines, including Marie Claire, Inc. Magazine, Refinery29, the Chicago Tribune, Cranes, Forbes, just to mention a few, as well as being featured on several radio station shows, including WGN. She's the recipient of more awards than I can possibly go through, including We Work Young Innovators in 2017, Midwest Women Tech Founders Talent Development Leader 2017 and 2018 Chicago Startups to Watch. Wow. So with that introduction, Shaniqua, welcome to the show. Thanks for being on The Savvy Entrepreneur this week. Thank you so much for having me and thank you so much for, you know, going through that list. I know it was pretty long, but I appreciate it. Excited to be here. I am excited to have you. Tell us a little bit more about your business. What does Norify do? Here at Norify, we work as a diversity recruitment partner to make sure companies are 
finding great talent, but more importantly, we are making sure that they are setting their employer branding up as a diversity and culture leader. Um, we think that it's truly important to actively attract talent on an ongoing basis and to also develop inclusive culture across the board. So we've been partnering with organizations that are um, really small and they're, you know, they may be having their first few hires and they, you know, want to make sure they're developing diversity and inclusion from the ground up. And we have some really big clients um, such as like Amazon, Warby Parker, Tory Burch, Google, WeWork, and a host of others who may have larger diversity and inclusion needs. And um, what's important to them is making sure that even if they didn't start with maybe a strong and solid diversity pipeline, that they are now, you know, have the resources in place to start developing and bringing in more talent. So we come in as their partner to assist with that. Fantastic. So why did you create this business? Why you and why this business? Yeah. So, I mean, I think one, I'm just, I've always been an entrepreneur and um, I didn't, I guess I didn't really understand that I was an entrepreneur until I was deep into entrepreneurship. Like, whoa, I'm really doing this. And um, really where Norify came in was that um, I moved to Chicago six years ago and I was having a really, really hard time finding a job that I just, I felt was a good fit for me professionally. And when I say that, it's just that a lot of the roles or opportunities that I was really excited about or that I felt that I was really qualified for, it, I just wasn't getting, I wasn't getting access to those roles as some of my counterparts or um, the other people around me were. And I, I didn't really understand why that was. You know, I was like, you know what, I have these internships or I've done this experience and I have these connections. Why, why am I not landing these roles? And then outside of that, if I did land a job, I found myself consistently working for companies where I was in environments where I did not necessarily feel welcomed. The, the welcoming phase of joining this company wore off very, very quickly because once I was inside of the organization, I quickly found that there were not very many people like me inside of the organization. So I didn't have people that I could connect with or talk to or share experiences or you know, just feel comfortable being myself. So I started evaluating my networks and I just started having conversations with people like, hey, you know, what's your experience like? Um, are you going through this or have you, you know, been have you found any really good opportunities? And from those connections and those conversations, what I found out was that there was a large group of people like myself who were continuously experiencing these things. And at the time in 2016, there were not very many resources to assist in, you know, helping us get over these barriers. So I decided to create Norify. I, I thought of the idea and the next day I went out and I started telling everybody I was the founder and CEO of this company called Norify. <laughs> I did not know <laughs> what it did, but yeah, here I am today. Well, good for you. In my experience, having worked for big companies and with small companies, there certainly is a glaring need. I mean, uh, you don't have to look at much data and i'm not just talking about underrepresented people i mean i think a lot of companies do a terrible job with engagement in general you can look at studies of employee engagement and the numbers are not very good and certainly as mm -hmm. a woman i can attest to the fact that many times i suspect that opportunities 
were not given to me or maybe somehow it was viewed as being not as credible, but there's certainly a need out there, no doubt about it. So talk a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of what you do. So I'm a woman, I'm looking for a job in tech. How does Norify help me and how would I engage with Norify, for example? Yeah, so um, we specifically work with our talent to create um, overall talent profiles, highlighting who you are, your overall past accomplishments, the type of roles that you're looking for. You can narrow in specifically on the type of organizations that you would like to work for. That could be a startup, that could be a high growth company, that could be companies who, you know, have fully invested into diversity or they're figuring it out. I think the beauty behind our system is that you basically put yourself in the driver's seat to say, you know what, this is specifically the direction that I'm going in. And companies are then jumping on board onto your train to say, you know what, hey, this is a person that I want to connect with. And also our talent, they're, I would say they're getting front row visibility from these corporations because companies now more than ever are recognizing the fact that they cannot sit be, they cannot sit you know, down and not address these diversity needs. And they're really actively trying to find talent. So I would say right now, talent is a hot commodity, specifically diverse talent. So the people that do enter our pipeline, they are getting prime exposure to these great companies who are actively working on investing in their diversity and inclusion every day. We make sure that all of the partners that we work with are vetted. And when we say that is, we, we want to make sure that they're not just trying to check a box. And what that looks like is that they are actively investing in diversity and inclusion on an ongoing basis. They are not looking to just post a 30-day job posting and get it out there and see who bites like bait. We don't, we don't want that. We want to craft, <laughs> yeah, like we want to craft authentic and engaging relationships. So the talent who enter our pipeline, that's, that's what you get. You'll be able to create your, your profiles, connect with these great companies, and you know hopefully find a position that will lead to your overall advancement um, professionally, wherever that is for you. So if I put on a profile on Norify, do I pay a fee to do that? Or do what's, your, what's your revenue and business model? Yeah, it is free for all candidates and professionals to join our network and database. Again, we want to work to make sure that the candidates have the best exposure possible. And we don't think there's a, a fee that should come with that. Now, for our employers, it's like a pay to play. I, I don't mean to say it like that, but it's just essentially, hey, we, we want to make sure that you are putting your investment behind, you know, what you all are truly saying is important to your organization. So the companies are investing not only in our talent pipeline, but they're also investing in our resources that will help their overall employer branding, um, their diversity and inclusion goals, um, making sure that they have consistent visit visibility with a diverse pipeline on an ongoing basis. And through that, we're able to reach more candidates, um, you know, extend our marketing efforts and find new pipelines to make sure that they are consistently connecting with the equitable talent that exists in the workplace. Is your talent pool local, regional, global? I mean, is it primarily serving the Midwest or really anywhere? Yeah, no, we serve talent anywhere, but um, primarily, so we would, we are national with an ongoing global or international outreach. So 
inbound reach, I should say. Um, we have recently seen a, a large number of candidates from the Canadians, specifically Toronto market, UK, um, and also some other, some African countries that are interested in joining our talent pipeline. While we are trying to figure out how to integrate the international candidates into our network, our largest network right now is our national candidate database. So those candidates can be located in the Midwest, in New York, DC, Atlanta, San Francisco, California, and then you'll also find some candidates from, from those small pockets that are around the country and they're looking to, you know, maybe relocate or find a company that will accommodate them as they work from home in their local environment. You know, it's interesting. I have had a number of startups from the Midwest, and one comment that they've made is that there seems to be tech talent shortage in the Midwest. Do you think that's true? Have you seen that? No, I don't. I think that the Midwest actually has a large number of tech talented professionals that are coming out just because in this area, there's such there's such a large number of colleges like Michigan State, my college, we have University of Michigan, U of I, UIC, IIT here based and you have Milwaukee. There's a large number of talented professionals. I think where we are finding the differences is that actually the talent that does come from the Midwest, they're actually relocating. So it's not that the talent, you know, isn't being developed here or they, they don't exist. It's that they're being pulled to the New Yorks or the coast of the San Francisco's. And that's generally where it seems like those are tech-based cities. So I think that it's not that we're losing or we don't have the talent. I think the Midwest will have to do a better job of kind of developing a, a reputation of becoming a tech-driven um, city. Yeah, it's it's tough. Region. I mean, one of the venture capitalist guests that I had on my show a couple of weeks ago was had shared some pretty astounding numbers of how little venture capital flows into the Midwest as compared to, for example, Silicon Valley, and mm -hmm. to to a latter extent maybe places like Boston or New York. Do you see that changing? In the Midwest, the, the flow of VC capital? Yeah. I, I, I don't. Um, I don't see it happening. I don't think that, you know, from my own personal experience that I've had the best of luck, you know, connecting with VCs here in the Midwest. I, I generally think that here they are very... I don't know. It's a, it's a very different market here when it comes to uh, venture capital. And I, I think that typically a lot of startups do want to go to the coast because they do have a lot more opportunity in being able to raise the capital that for some reason is a lot harder to get access to here. So I don't know. I, I have mixed feelings about it or maybe my, my I think my feelings are it's just that if, you know, when I do decide to raise capital, it, it won't be here in the Midwest. Mm, interesting. What about diverse tech talent? Is there a shortage of diverse tech talent? I, I think in full transparency of being in the space for a few years, I will say that there is a smaller number of tech talent specifically for diverse diversity. 
um, when we care, compare it to the majority. But that only comes down to like, you know, because it's a niche area. Now, like not only are we, you know, trying to narrow in on a specific group that's already underrepresented, we're now asking to try to find talent within that group that is, you know, underrepresented inside of the underrepresented group. So <laughs> right. it gets, right. starts to get extremely complicated. So I think that, you know, what it does present is that the talent that that does exist, they are, you know, it's really competitive. These professionals are, you know, working their butts off. They're being educated at some of the best schools. And, you know, it's really a game for the employers that if you want to find this talent, it's not just going to fall in your lap. You're going to have to make sure that you are really setting up environments where future employees want to work for you. Why do they want to leave, you know, why do they want to leave this one company that they found that, you know, is meeting their, their needs right. and why should they come work for you? Right. Um, so that is really coming down to the employer branding and internal development piece, because it's really just a game about who can get the best talent on an ongoing basis. I would say it's a matter of quality over quantity for sure. Do you think we do a good job of developing diverse tech talent here in the Midwest or the things we could do better at? Um, I think that um, we could definitely do better. I think that with the new implementation of diversity programs at organizations and also with diversity first programs at a lot of the colleges across the Midwest, um, I, I do think we are starting to create foundations where diverse tech talent can be successful. And I think that it's going to have to start at the high school to early college areas to let people know that, you know, these are areas of interest that corporations are highly seeking. Um, I think that good job that some employers that I know of specifically like PWC and um, I think I recently saw that Google has implemented a program where they are developing internal training programs that provide certifications for future professionals. I think if more employers want to develop internal pipeline programs, implementing different training programs like that, not only allow them to cultivate their own pipeline, but they also are training the pipeline that they eventually want to enter their workforce. So I think that, you know, we definitely have a good foundation, but the more we see invested into actually training future talent, I think that we'll see a larger outcome in the, you know, in the overall long run. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. My daughter is a senior in statistics at the University of Illinois, and she's commented more than a few times that she is one of the few women <laughs> in the department still today. I mean, it just, uh, you know, it boggles my mind. But, um, yeah. you know, you talk to, you know, women in engineering is a big group down at U of I. You know, they're, they're very convinced that it does start at a, an early age. You have to help young bright students understand that that they can they can do this they can they can be this they can you know and and to not be discouraged right yeah for sure and i I also think it's a matter of just kind of shifting the narrative about around you know what it takes to be an engineer because when we think about the typical engineer they think about uh, your typical profile of a guy in sweatshirts behind a computer sitting there all day bored and not doing anything. And it's just like young girls are developed, like trained from the very beginning to look at things like fashion and beauty and, you know, right. cheerleading. And if we start <laughs> implement, implementing ideas that 
you you could like fashion and you could also develop a website that you know caters to fashion and that's technology like it's just it's just shifting the idea of how we are approaching the idea uh, or approaching what technology is and technology development to actually make it a desirable workforce yeah. um because yeah i agree with like like your daughter like if you go, I was a, a computer science focus under my media information, information technology degree. And there were very, very few women in that class. And there were also very, very few minorities in that class. Yeah. And it wasn't that, you know, they didn't have the same opportunities to me. We all got the same opportunity to choose our majors. It was just more so that I think that the idea around technology has not become desirable until now. And a lot of professions or professionals are already in their careers. Yeah, Absolutely. So how do you convince tech talent to stay home or convince them to relocate? Do you see more of one than the other? I think that nobody wants to work in a traditional work environment anymore post-COVID. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, surveys consistently show that people do not want to go back to an office, but people do like that, the option or ability to go into the office if they choose to, they just don't want to be forced to. And I think that, you know, what that does tell us is, oh, one other important thing is that I've had a lot of conversations or just generally looking at trends where I've heard people say that they will literally quit their jobs if their offices or their employers require them to go into their office. Wow. And yes, they, they are. Yeah, that we've moved into an environment. I'm not shocked at this environment because at the end of the day, like people like flexibility and I think that people feel like they have more mobility to, you know, develop personally and professionally. And there's no reason why I can't contribute towards, you know, all of these projects and all of these overall work goals from, you know, the comfort of wherever I want to be. So I think that if companies really want to make sure they're attracting the best talent, they're going to have to get on board with being able to accommodate a flexible workforce because like even some of the larger companies are now implementing policies where they're like, you know, we're not going to force our employers to return home. How do you compete against a company who is now say, you know what, we don't need people to come back into the office. That's actually a policy. We're getting rid of that. And now you're saying you have to come into this office and sit here and be in our interact with us in this, in this way. I think, you know, employers are just going to have to adjust kind of the expectations to meet the really competitive workforce. Having worked for, several big companies, I have to say they were, you know, there were parts that were rewarding, but the corporate office, and I'm not speaking of some of these new startups where every day is something new and, you know, it's just so interactive. You're lucky if you work for one of those, but in bigger companies, the office has become just this almost humiliating. It's, it's mind numbing putting time in the office, people try to outdo each other and, you know, mm -hmm. you need to look busy and there's an increasing sense of that as really almost demeaning to, <laughs> to the human the spirit. Um, yeah. and it, there's a need for the office to really be reimagined. There's a business opportunity out there, folks. For those mm -hmm. of you who are creative, is helping create the office of the future. I definitely agree with that. I think that whoever can figure that out, they'll have the next billion dollar idea. Because
I, I don't know what that looks like, but I know people want the flexibility of not being forced to go into an office, but they also want to have the option to go into an office if that exists. So yeah, I think, you know, companies are just going to have to stay in with the trends of what's going on for candidates. And I know the candidates that we specifically work with, they want freedom and flexibility. You know, you touched on something early on when you were talking about why and how you founded Norify, which is helping candidates make sure they feel like they fit once they've been hired. What do companies need to do a better job with there? I think internally what companies need to make sure that they are doing is having active groups internally that represent the people that they want to have at their organization. Like that could be mentors, that could be, you know, employee resource groups, that could be honoring and recognizing the, the different cultural holidays or anything that could be, you know, beneficial to the people, or it could feel like it's beneficial to the people in your organization. I think companies need to recognize those differences as much as they recognize the things that, you know, people generally are accepting as a whole, as the natural or the normal majority. So to answer that question is just making sure that they have the right resources in place to support diverse talent on an ongoing basis. And that's really going to come from interviewing and making sure they are in tune with how their current employees feel. Yeah, you know, it's in some companies, I think it's almost like a chicken and the egg problem. I mean, I have a brother-in-law who's a very senior exec at one of the big healthcare companies, and he's commented on the fact that they just don't seem to be able to attract diverse talent. You know, he said the the problem they say is there's nobody here who looks like or sounds like me or mm. thinks like I do. Well, so where do you start? <laughs> you know, if there's nobody who looks like you, you don't want to go be the one who sticks out like a sore thumb, but it has to start somewhere. So yeah, I, I think it starts. That? I think it starts with planting seeds, like in different communities. I, I do think it's important to have people there that look like you because it's it's just really uncomfortable to be to be the only person that looks like your identity. You then become the face of that entire identity. You you take on the burden of having to be responsible for making sure everybody else in the in the organization understands that you know that identity and that that is a lot i think i don't think a lot of people consider that sometimes a lot of diverse professionals they are entering these organizations and because they are the only person that kind of represents this different identity they then take on two roles two different job responsibility roles where they instantly become the dni you know leader or manager but they also still have their full-time job and it's just like it's a lot to deal with so i think that I think the way that companies can get around kind of just that singular focus or, oh, how do we, you know, start shift the dynamic is starting to plant seeds in different communities where they want to grow. And that could be making sure they are on the list for virtual HBCU career fairs that could be attending virtual conferences. Um, I wish life was normal so we could all network and mingle and be connected to each other, you know, that way. But it, it's really about making sure they have someone available to consistently tap into these different communities, because what happens specifically I mentioned in the black community, what I've noticed is that when we hear about a company that does a really, really good job of investing into diversity, everybody all of a sudden wants to work for that diversity company. 
So mm. it's all about positioning and making sure that you are doing everything you can to be found by these diverse professionals. Because once they start talking about you and spreading all this good news about you and they say, you know what, I heard this company was doing this and I heard this company was doing that. Everybody wants to work for you. And, and that that trajectory shifts from, oh, we, you know, nobody wants to work from us to everybody wants to work for us. We have a, a solid pipeline of diverse talent. We now have a ERGs in place to support this talent that's coming into our network. We, we have recruiters in place that are, you know, helping us eliminate bias because they come from different backgrounds. And we have a solid interview process in place to, you know, make sure that the people feel supported in the interview process. That, I know that was a lot, but I think that... No, no, no. I, I absolutely agree with you. And I think if done right, a more diverse workplace is a lot more fun place to work, mm -hmm. if done right. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I only say that because I spent a lot of years working in the global business units of big companies. And I liked it because in some ways, a lot of these uh, little local offices were like startups, but every day was just so much fun to be hearing people from all over the world telling about what was important in their neighborhood and their community and and what they cared mm -hmm. about and you know the get-togethers were just the most fun most engaging liveliest kind of conversations you can imagine so you know diversity means different things to different people obviously but for me, you know, that kind of that layer of diversity was just was so stimulating. So, you know, so much fun, you know, and I would wish that on everybody, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that another way to even just approach how fun diversity and inclusion can be and the experience of diversity and inclusion is to think about traveling. Like think about when you experience different countries, you're basically you're you're diving right into different cultures and experiences and it doesn't feel like you know you're doing anything different than being yourself but what it allows you to do is to really fully understand why you know people's backgrounds the different things that consume them and make them happy or contribute to their overall success that's what you do when you visit different countries on a consistent basis i think we can find a way to replicate that experience in the office by accepting and you know diving into different cultures that way um, into the office space, whether that be virtually or in person. I think that's a great one. I totally agree. Shaniqua, I need you to hold your thoughts. We're going to take a quick break right now for station identification and a word from a few of our sponsors, but stay tuned folks. We'll be right back with Shaniqua Davis, the founder and CEO of Norify. This is Doris Nagel and you're listening to the Savvy Entrepreneur Show. Shaniqua, before the break, we were talking about how you find diverse tech talent and help them find places that are good fits for them, as well as helping companies change to be better fits, frankly, for diverse tech talent. I, I want to go back to your business, though, itself. How did you find funding? I mean, you said you woke up one day and you said, I'm, you started telling all your friends that mm -hmm. you're the CEO of a startup company and mm -hmm. so good for you, but how did you take the next steps? Well, you know, honestly, my journey has been bootstrapped 90% of the way I've been running Norify for the last four years. 
And we were we were able to raise capital, just a, a small amount of capital in 2018. And we, you know, we have not raised since all of our funding has been ran off of um, internal investments. So myself, and that was probably, you know, me picking up side jobs to be like, hey, I'm trying to fund my business or, you know, me finding a way to make resources by Instead of hiring a developer for this MVP, I'm going to build it myself. Or, you know, instead of hiring a marketing team because I don't have the budgeting for that, let me see if I can craft something myself to initially just get the name out there, see product response rate and customer interest. And, you know, I did all of that on my own. And then when I was able to raise capital in 2018, I used that to um, invest in bringing on a team to help support me. So, To date, um, I've had about four employees who assist in different areas from account management to sales, to marketing, to finance. And, you know, all of those people have contributed to the growth of the company in some way. Honestly, you know, what keeps the company afloat is the revenue that we bring in from our customers. So as we are finding different ways to meet our customers and, you know, to transform our services based off of the resources that we have available to us, we've been able to grow that way. So it's really just product development, bootstrapping, blood, sweat, and tears, and just kind (laughs) of like really having faith in, you know, this product. Wow. So how did you find your first clients? Um, They found me. It was very, very weird. Wow. Yeah, it was weird. Well, you know, today, um, 98% of our business that we get, it all comes from inbound leads. We don't do any outbound leads. We have a pretty, we've always had a pretty solid pipeline of interest from companies wanting to work with us which is, you know, is obviously a good thing. And and it it is also, I would say, without a doubt, one of the biggest factors of why I've continued to run the business for so long, because the diversity and inclusion space is such a, it's it's such a hard space to work in. You know, it's it's ever-changing. There are so many different obstacles or, you know, angles that you need to take to accommodate the space. So when you work in a, in a market that it's consistently changing, it could be six months from now, people completely think about diversity and inclusion <laughs> in a right. different way than they thought about it six months ago. When you, through all those changes, consistently have a solid number of people who are interested in your services and your story, you know, that that is motivational and it definitely is a means to keep going on a consistent basis. That's a wonderful luxury to have. I don't think many businesses, certainly not startups, can say that. So are there clients that you just say, you're just not a good match for us? I just don't mm-hmm. think... You're where you need to be to be a good match for our candidates? Oh, yes, absolutely. And, you know, and it's not in a way that we want to say anything bad about the organization. It's just more so that, you know, hey, I understand that this is, there are very specific ways to identify companies who just want to check a box off and they don't actually care about the the overall goals or, you know, outcomes of diversity and inclusion. And those aren't the companies that we want to work with primarily because, you know, these candidates are interacting. They do get excited about these companies. And if they come to our platform and they have the same experience that they have on Indeed or LinkedIn and they're not getting responses or they're not getting interviewed or, you know, they're not getting hired, what what is the benefit of working with, you know, a company that wants to connected with companies that are valuing, you know, their time, their resources, their expertise. So 
We like to have thorough conversations with our companies about what their long-term goals are. And, you know, if they tell us that they this is something they want to continue to work on on an ongoing base, basis, whether it be with us or just in general from an internal standpoint, those are the companies that we want to work with. So you've got me intrigued. I'm just trying to envision one of these conversations. And this might be helpful for just people listening who are interviewing for jobs with companies, whether or not they use your services. So what are some of the telltale signs that a company isn't really serious about hiring diverse or promoting diverse talent? I think initially, I think in the screening process, that it's just, it comes down to a few questions where like we can ask very directly, like, hey, tell us about your diversity and inclusion goals. And they're like, oh, we don't have any. We just want to post this job. Really? Okay. That's yeah. It's just shameless. like, yeah, like, and it's just like, oh, okay, so you, you just want to post a job? Well, is there a reason why you want to post this job here? Oh, because we just want to give it a shot and see what what happens. Like, okay, well, I mean, do you have any other diversity and inclusion goals that you think would be beneficial that'll help change your outcome from this platform to that platform? Um no, it's literally those type of, there's like, oh, we're just doing, we're just looking up stuff right now, or we don't really have a plan or, you know, you don't have to have it all figured out, but you should at least come to the table with an idea of the type of approach you want to have to recruiting. If you want to, wow. yeah, it's very. Shaniqua, I'm astounded. I guess I'm used to more traditional corporate America. I, I'm astounded that companies would not even give it the quote unquote college try to come up with mm -hmm. a, a rationale that that's pretty, that's pretty shocking. I, I spend, I guess, more of my time in more traditional corporate America where things are a lot less transparent. You know, they'll say lots of things, but what they do is totally different. Oh yeah. You know, you know sure. what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. And and then we we also get that as well. So that was just more so on the initial screening phase. It's like, you know, you can see very clearly companies who have good intentions versus companies who are just throwing stuff at the wall. And they're like, oh, we're going to, I heard diversity and inclusion was a thing. We're going to throw this at the wall and see if it's important. Like, it's not really... No, don't waste. I no, thank you. We're not going to do that. But then you also get to the companies who have said, you know what, okay, maybe they had an idea about diversity and inclusion and they, they do actually, or they say they want to invest in it on a long-term basis. And then, you know, they start seeing candidates and then they turn down candidates because maybe they didn't meet 98% of the things on the job description. Or it was like, you know, hey, we wanted somebody with eight years of experience in this in this role that has only been trending in the market for five years like it's just it's finding different ways to like screen people mm -hmm. out of the process without actually interviewing these candidates and giving them the opportunity to you know see if they could potentially be a good fit for you because what we what we do know in this market is that a lot of people traditionally that don't come from diverse backgrounds they they're needing the qualifications for these jobs these job responsibilities that maybe a 65 to 70 percent quote unquote like rate it's just like okay you meet 65 to 70 percent of these qualifications we're going to interview you non-traditional candidates don't get those same opportunities so they're being screened out of the hiring process a lot sooner yeah so. i'm curious do you even track statistics you know in terms of retention and promotion and things like that for some of your clients 
No, we don't, we don't track, we don't track retention or promotion um, primarily because I wouldn't say we are a full service talent acquisition firm. In fact, I've tried to move away from the talent acquisition space just because there are so many different things that play into these verticals that I feel like I would like to be on the side of the diversity and inclusion spectrum where I can tell the future candidates that I am working with that we're finding ways to hold companies accountable through by being able to measure their diversity efforts. And that doesn't necessarily come down to maybe measuring retention, but how are they presenting themselves from a diversity and inclusion standpoint? What does their overall employer branding look like? How are they developing themselves internally and culturally? And how can we share that information with you? So you feel like you have all the information necessary to take on this company and this role should you decide to move forward with them. Well, you've talked about how you found clients. What about candidates? How do they find you? So this is a this is an interesting space. Generally, um, in the past, we found a lot of our candidates from creating different events that we would host around the country. So we would host, you know, recruitment events with companies that we partner with in local cities. Um, we would have them come into their offices and do like tours and we would get really personal with kind of introductions and, you know, finding a way to make sure this talent is consistently exposed um, to these networks. And then outside of that, um, the in-person events, we also, you know, we, we were really big on social media. I've been fortunate enough to get a lot of brand exposure, I should say, like in, in different like media features and generally, um, those branding and media features drive a lot of traffic and interest to our candidate pool. So we see a lot of interest of candidates organically entering our market that way. Now with COVID, um, we've obviously had to adjust a bit. I feel like we could, with the physical events being a big driver for us, we could definitely switch over to virtual events. But let's be honest, people are virtually fatigued. That's why even on my <laughs> Zoom invites, I ask people, I'm like, hey, do you want to connect with the camera on or do you want to connect with the camera off? just because I understand that no one wants to be digitally available available all the time, especially if you've been working all day. You know, the next thing that may have been excited at the beginning of COVID is a virtual happy hour, but if you've been working all day, you kind of want to get off the computer, right? So we're finding different ways. Yeah, so we're finding different ways to engage with talent. And right now that's really driven through our marketing efforts. So social media, using that as a driver and making sure that we are consistently available um, in the places where our talent is, you know, finding the most interest in right now. What's been the hardest thing, do you think, about starting your own business? Oh, that's, that's a, few, a few things. Okay, uh, let's, where do I start? <laughs> How much time do we have, right? <laughs> oh my God, yeah. I think the um, the hardest thing has been trying to develop such a complex business as a first-time entrepreneur. So like, this is my first startup. This is my first business. You know, I jumped straight out of corporate into this diversity and inclusion space that changes on an ongoing and consistent basis. And, you know, being able to meet the demands of the changing market without raising capital that, you know, that is also extremely hard. So, you know, I have to consistently be agile in how I, you know, want to stay competitive in this space. And, you know, I want to make sure that we are offering great services to our clients and, 
for also being continuing to be a resource to candidates. And, you know, I think the way that we found a way to get around that is through team development. So I'm prioritizing making sure that I'm hiring the right people to accommodate the company where we are now. I always say like, it's very, very interesting that I'm always looking for the best talent for other companies. I need to make sure that I'm also internally, you know, applying those those same principles to you know us as we're developing because we're still a startup where, you know, we're growing as well. So just having, finding the right team to help build it out, having capital to support our ongoing growth. I would say those are the biggest things. For sure. So what's the, been the best things about running your own business? The best thing is the mission and what I'm, what I'm doing it for. Like I, I kind of mentioned it earlier, but you know, to be in a business where the desire and interest for your services never die, is kind of like, you know, I can't stop doing this because this is bigger than me and bigger than anything else that I'm working on because, you know, people are consistently needing this on both sides of the market, whether it be companies who are trying to figure it out or whether it be candidates who are trying to find great companies. The messaging that I get from companies that I work with, the, you know, the support that I receive from candidates who truly value the service, you know, it, it's really inspiring for myself to make sure that I'm just trying my hardest and doing the best that I can to accommodate and try to, you know, be a resource in the space. And I think um, another thing that's exciting about it is, I would say, what was the most exciting thing about it before COVID was the flexibility of being able to kind of work on my own terms to figure out the business. But I think, you know, a lot more companies are offering that flexibility for companies. I think a lot, a lot of people wanted to leave corporate America before COVID because they didn't like the responsibility of being tied down to an office desk. But now because people can work from home and they have a little more flexibility on how they navigate the workspace, I think people are basically essentially operating as entrepreneurs in their professional lives. So that same freedom and excitement that people got from that, I, I get joy in being able to figure out what works for my schedule and how I can accommodate in my, that into my professional and corporate growth. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting segue to my next question, which is having been an employee and now starting and running your own business, what the biggest differences are what were you well prepared for and what were the things that you just were not prepared for having been an employee before? I think the biggest thing is not having structure and having to develop your own structure. I think with, um, you know, being an employee, you are essentially working on the whims of someone else's time and someone else's beliefs or business practices. So you have to essentially find out how you can bring your, your expertise and your skills into this organization to benefit something that may not necessarily benefit yourself as a whole. It's just like you are working for this company and you know you are contributing your skills to this company. And that that is essentially it for that time being. And you can either stay there or you can go to the next company where you will kind of repeat that cycle. I think when you separate yourself from becoming an employee and, and becoming an entrepreneur, everything that you're working on benefits yourself. It benefits your company. Like those, those things are directly contributing towards your overall growth professionally and also to the business that you are running. And I do think, you know, you can definitely offer some benefits as an employee, but it's nothing like closing an Amazon deal for, you know, X amount of money for your own company as opposed to closing an Amazon contract for a company that you work for. 
I think that, you know, it just, you eat what you kill. So it's on a consistent <laughs> basis of trying to make sure that you are staying competitive and, yeah. you know, you're benefiting yourself. Yeah. What kind of resources have you turned to and have you found useful in your journey so far as an entrepreneur? Yeah, I think the the one of the biggest resources that I found is speaking up and asking for people what I want and telling people what I need and telling people what is not working. <laughs> I think that like I, I can say that that may not be like a tangible resource, but it's a very, very beneficial resource because like from the very beginning, when that day I decided I was going to start Norify and I went out the next day and I started telling people that I, you know, I started this company Norify. I would say within two weeks of coming up with the idea, Norify already had interest from both candidates and from companies. And I had not even figured out what the company was, but I was just telling everybody. (laughs) Yeah. Like I I was literally telling everybody like, oh, this is what I do. And I have this company and this is our goal and X, Y, Z. And I need help with this. Or do you know anybody? Can you assist with this? And the reason that I think communication is such a huge resource is because it led me to other other things that were really, really beneficial to my growth. I participated in accelerators before, you know, I've been a part of business mentorship groups where I had the opportunity to shadow other entrepreneurs or shadow professionals who were, you know, willing to give me their time and their resources in exchange. You know, I was also willing to share my experience with them. Some other things that were are really, really beneficial or that were really good for me and my growth before COVID was consistently staying on top of trends and attending as many events and being as visible as possible. One thing as an entrepreneur, I would say is that if you want to stay, you know, on top of your game or be noticeable, noticeable in the market, make sure that, you know, people can see you, they know what you're doing, they know what you're working on. If you have the ability to develop media connections and have someone tell your story, you know, participating in great podcasts like this, I think that it's a great opportunity to just share your message with people and, you know, get people familiar with who you are and what you're trying to do. And I think naturally, you know, the more people that really can feel like they can connect with you in an authentic way, I think you'll attract those connections. So what do you do when you hit rough patches? Where do you find inspiration? I find inspiration by taking a break. I need, I take, I am, I am a strong believer in work-life balance. And if I find myself overwhelmed, I will do what I need to do to say, you know what, right now I just need a timeout. I need to reset and I need to, I'll come back to this. So I I do a very, very good job with that. And then also um, in those moments when I'm resting, I like to brainstorm on what needs to be done to advance and move forward. Um, So I think that that works really, really well for me and also um, some of the people that I work with as well. Where do you see your business in, say, three years? In three years, I'm hoping that we will be the go-to resource for all these things related to insights on diversity and inclusion at organizations. I want to make sure that we have a consistent pipeline of companies 
who are, you know, really investing in diversity and showcasing culture. I want it to become a space where, you know, companies who are looking for the next best advice on what companies are doing really well, they can use our platform to see how com other companies are performing, um, how they're attracting talent, how they're, you know, bringing these professionals into their network as they continue to switch and, you know, change their narratives and be invest more into their diversity and inclusion branding. I think we'll see more consistent and pipeline of candidates naturally entering these, these organizations, which will directly shift the landscape of how diversity and inclusion looks like at work um, in, in the workplace. And I think with that, I also want to change the narrative that diversity doesn't just have to involve technology, because I think that, you know, over the last few years, a lot of people only focus on diversity and tech, diversity and tech, diversity and tech. And while diversity and tech is a huge huge area that needs to be focused. There are so many other professional areas where we need to increase diversity. So I want everybody to feel comfortable that, you know, regardless of what role or industry that they are interested in going in, they'll be able to find a company that they can work with and get insights on through Norify. Ambitious but meaningful stuff you're talking about. You know, looking back over the past four years, what advice would you give to other entrepreneurs who are just starting out? Um, I would say to make sure that you find a company that you actually truly love or a mission that you actually truly love and that you care about because when things get hard and things get difficult, you're going to have to have, have things to lean in on and it's going to have to be bigger than you and how you're feeling at that moment. So I think that, you know, if you can find something that is an innovative idea and it has, you know, something that is extremely, extremely meaningful to yourself or, you know, something greater in this in this world, I think that you'll be pretty you'll be set up for success either way because you're going to learn from it. You're going to grow and you'll have the tools in place to, you know, make your company take off the way it needs to. Well, there's no question that doing something that you're passionate about helps a lot in terms of just knowing that your days and your time and, and efforts have meaning, right? That matters mm -hmm. a lot to a lot of us. For, yes. uh, well, we're almost out of time. The hour just has just zipped by as I sort of guessed it would. Shaniqua, how should people reach you or connect with Norify if they're interested in using your services, either as a client or a candidate? Yes, we can be found at um, Norify.com, and that's spelled N-O-I-R-E-F-Y.com. And a candidate, you can sign up. It's free. Get your profiles posted on there. Start connecting with great companies. And then for companies, it's the same. You just you fill out our employer inquiry form. We'll set up a call where we'll connect with each other, each other to learn about each other. Um, and then we go from there. You can also find us on social media. We're Norify across every platform. So yeah, I look forward to uh, potentially connecting with some of the listeners and um, you know continuing this journey. Thank you so much for your time today. It was really a delight having you on the show. Thanks for being with me today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks to all my listeners. And again, a special thanks to Shaniqua Davis, the founder and CEO of Norify, who joined me this week to talk about her entrepreneurial journey. You can find more helpful information and resources on my website, globalocityservicesplural.com. There's a library of blogs, tools, podcasts, and other free resources. 
And because this show is for you, my listeners, my door is always open. I would love to hear from you with comments, questions, or suggestions, or just to shoot the breeze. You can email me at dnagel, N-A-G-E-L, at lakes, plural, lakesradio.org. I promise you'll hear from me. Be sure to join me again next Saturday, 11 a.m. Central, noon Eastern. But until then, I'm Doris Nagel, wishing you happy entrepreneurship.